Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and welcome back to the Whatever Next podcast, where we talk about all things adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Addie, and I was adopted from China when I was eight months old and grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, where I'm currently based. Hi, I'm Josephine. I was adopted from China when I was 18 months and grew up in London, but I'm currently based in Edinburgh. Hi, my name's Hannah. I was adopted from China when I was 20 months old. Um, I grew up in Dorset, but I'm currently based in Edinburgh. In 2019, we all met in Edinburgh for the first time. Now we've come together to open dialogues about adoption through the lenses of adoptees. In this second episode, we'll be discussing relationships in all forms, such as friendships, romantic, and ones with yourself. So we're going to play some clips again. We've got three different people to share with you. The first one is with um, Hannah, our co-host, and also another Chinese adoptee named Hannah, (laughs) (laughs) talking about dating. And we've also got a clip from me and Rowan again talking about having conversations about me being adopted um, within our relationship. And we also have a clip from an interview with Josephine and her mom talking about different aspects of intimacy, emotional intimacy in relationships, having relationships in the future. How would you guys um, describe yourself as a young teenager just trying to discover your identity and relationship with yourself? And how do you think your friendships changed from when you were in high school to like now as an adult? So like for me, I was very um, like timid and shy. I had a lot of friends, but I cared a lot about what other people thought of me. So my relationship with my friends um, definitely varied. I have had a lot of different like categories of friends that I kept separate for different social scenes and stuff like that. I think what you say about categories is quite interesting because I think that compartmentalizing of um, friendships and friendship groups is definitely something that I did as well because it felt a lot easier to have these like separate entities kind of like Venn diagrams than have them overlap because I think also part of it was just like different I think you have different uh, kind of personalities with different people um, but it was just like the crossover of any of those really um, I think frightened me a little bit because same same here Even, like, mixing friends and family, I find that quite difficult to this day. 
Yes, yes. I definitely had a lot of anxiety of um, thinking about if one friend from this category <laughs> met another friend from this category because I wouldn't know how to how to act in front of both of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's still me today. <laughs> Super healthy. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> but yeah, there was this one time when I had, I think it was at the near the end of high school, I had a New Year's Eve party um, at my house. And this was after I had lived in Vietnam for a little bit. So I had kind of gotten over my um, compartmentalizing different friend groups. And since I was at home back in Kansas City, I wanted to invite like everybody that I ever met um, to my New Year's Eve party because I was so excited on like bringing people together after my experience in Vietnam. So I invited people from my life, like from grade school, from different high school groups, from like work friends to neighborhood friends, like everybody in the same house on New Year's Eve. <laughs> and so not everybody knew each other. Everyone kind of like was meeting new people at the same time. But for me, I was like, this is everybody in my life. And I remember some <laughs> of my like, friends being like, this is a really weird, really weird party because <laughs> there's a lot of different people here. And yeah, it, like some people I like, felt really awkward in interactions, but I thought it was hilarious. Did it go it well? Was, Did they get on? Um, kind of. Some people didn't really get on. Some people, they def definitely didn't mingle like all together. There are still groups, which I thought were, was interesting, but for me, I was in a point where I didn't really care anymore. But yeah, it was when you when I still talk about it with my friends today, they're like, yeah, that was kind of weird. <laughs> that was a little bit weird. Um, interesting New Year's Eve party. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Hannah? Yeah, no, I think at school, I had different groups of friends, like you were talking about, like different categories and say from from one subject and then another. And then it was always weird when you'd meet someone else on the street or something and you'd be like, oh, yeah. And then your friends don't know each other because I haven't introduced them or they just haven't met each other before. And that's the same here at uni as well. But even I find it so different when you have um, childhood friends versus sort of the friendships at university or at school. Do you feel like that you are a different or they know a different Hannah, like, these two different friend groups know a different version of you? Mm. I mean, my high school friends, or my childhood friends, they have seen me grow up and um, change. Whereas at uni, it's sort of that, I don't know, that Hannah at uni and then they don't know much before because it's only how much I tell them um, or mm -hmm. how much I show. I know, I find it a lot easier to... Um to kind of talk to people and interact with them like one-on-one -on -one or kind of in a lot in small groups I really dislike group scenarios um they make me my too. head hurt and they give mm, me a lot of anxiety mm. I don't know if you guys find that yeah I prefer talking to people and getting to know them one-on-one -on -one, mm. um rather than like in big groups like sitting at a long dinner table with friends I don't like in a party scene or like in a social environment I'm fine with because I can like move around and talk to people one-on-one -on -one. But yeah, if I'm in a big group and I feel like I'm having to talk to the whole group, I, I just don't. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think that's the same with me. There's, when you're in a group, I find that there's sort of just so much to keep track of and you don't know how much everyone else knows. And then I feel definitely much more self-conscious and yeah. 
<laughs> do you feel like you guys are. reveal different parts of yourself to different people based on like how comfortable you are or how long we, they've known you or oh definitely yeah I, I think everyone does that to a certain extent but I think you know there's different you have different types of friends don't you throughout your life and there's kind of mm-hmm. work friends and um people that you're close to other people you know kind of from glancing social situations that you do keep at arm's length yeah it's so it's weird thinking about I don't know I feel I feel like I've I've changed a little bit since since high school or like if I were to talk to somebody who I met in high school now I would feel like they knew a a different version of me like there was one time I was at um, my old job and I realized that I met this girl um, a long time ago like when we were 15 like freshmen in high school and she recognized me and She's like, I think I know you. Like, we went to school together, like, first year. And I'm like, oh, my God, you did. We did. <laughs> like, you knew, like, a 15-year-old Addie, which is weird to think about. Because <laughs> I haven't talked to her in a long time. <laughs> kind of thing. If you put all of the incarnations of Addie in a room together, who would win? Is it 2021 Addie coming out on top? or? Um. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Like in a fight? <laughs> yeah, sure. Fight the Addies. Yes, I would crush them with my emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in high school, I focused more on friendships than I did with boys. Because mm-hmm. I was just so, so, so insecure. There was, there was, not, there was no way that I was even going to think about talking to boys or them, like, imagining them talking to me because I assumed that they just wouldn't. So my most of my high school, yeah, was focused on like friendships and stuff, compartmentalized friendships. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that ties into Hannah's clip, doesn't it? About her own feelings of going through school and um, talking to boys and that kind of perceived rejection or disinterest. Should we play mm-hmm. that one? Yeah. In primary school, kind of like, end of high school I always wondered like oh do guys actually like me or they just like I don't know like just interested about like me being Chinese or whatever or like the <laughs> yeah well it wasn't even that I genuinely thought it was like the opposite to be honest I used to think like oh guys won't like me because I'm Chinese which honestly is such a like awful thing to say but there was de- I would definitely have that I'd genuinely be like I think it was just like a white guy thing as well like they just wouldn't really not that they wouldn't talk to you but they just I don't know they think they maybe like were a bit like intimidated by you just because they were like oh maybe you're you know you're different yeah you're like a completely different person which is honestly stupid but I think I yeah genuinely in like primary school I'd always have that like oh no I don't think that guy would ever like me because I'm Chinese it's just honestly just such an awful awful thing to say yeah it's so sad how we think that or how I definitely felt like that. Did you guys ever feel like that in high school? Yeah, definitely. And mm. um, as we were saying, it's just ironic, the kind of 180 that that's done, to now I think if a guy approaches me, it's the, does he only like me because I'm Chinese or because he thinks I'm Korean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you can't win on that one. <laughs> what do you think, Hannah? Because that was part of your, was it a five-hour conversation with other <laughs> Hannah about... Um, <laughs> Her experiences. So she grew up here partly in um, England that moved to Scotland. So we, so we had kind of a similar upbringing in the sense that we were both brought up in the countryside or where it was predominantly white. And when 
when we were talking about that, and well, when she was saying that, that that sort of made me sort of reflect on, oh yeah, I I sort of felt that as well, especially I don't know, um, yeah, in high school and not really accepting my Chinese features, really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you ever feel that? I feel like I was aware of having the same feelings that Hannah was talking about. But at the same time, because I had such low self-esteem, I didn't really care if that was like what what people said to me or like um, I just kind of accepted it as is. And like, this is this is the way it is. And I'm just going to have to live like this. Like, for example, there was this one guy um, in high school from first year, I think he thought it was so funny, like to call me Ping like an Asian like nickname or whatever like people like other people would just nickname me Asian or he would nickname me like Ping and think it was hilarious at like um in social settings outside of school and I would just laugh along and think it was like funny even though it like hurt me inside I didn't really like do anything about it and then later down the road I ended up asking that same guy to a dance (laughs) and I know, like, now that I think about it, I'm like, why did I do that? But that's just an example of how, like, little I thought of myself at the time. Like, even though this guy gave me, like, really awful nicknames, I still wanted to pursue him in, like, asking him to a dance, a high school dance, because I just, because I just wanted to fit in and be accepted. Like, that weighed more than guys seeing only my race. But yeah, Hannah, did did you find moving from kind of a urban to a rural setting was that a big turning point for you? Yeah, I mean, so I was brought up in Dorset and then moved uh, went to school in Eastbourne, and then that sort of got a little bit more diverse. It was a bit larger. It was a town, and then from then to university in Edinburgh, and I could see that from a I'm sort of growing up and realizing more about sort of my racial identity and then there was more diversity in those two places looking back I can definitely see sort of a change in my attitude towards sort of yeah my self-reflection on who I am a bit more we're all works in progress there aren't we <laughs> this isn't the end yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when do you at what age do you think that you started putting yourself out there and going on dates um I'm not really sure how to answer that one to be honest um <laughs> I think because oh, really? I knew, I knew the people had crushes on me throughout high school, but I think it was it was that was a very different time to actually being like I want to date somebody. I think it was oh right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then even I think throughout university and stuff, like I did date people, but I think it was very much. I don't think it was really interesting. This is a horrible, horrible thing to say. I definitely shouldn't say this on um, on live recording, but I wasn't really interested in them. I think it was more just kind of going through the motions. And because I was like, this is oh, okay. what I think I should be doing. My friends were dating as well. Um, yeah. But I also, I think it was kind of that thing of like self-protectionism, um, which I know we touched upon in the last um, disaster of our first recording. <laughs> but like, if you never let anyone in, you never get hurt, that principle. So I was very much like, if I'm not really invested in you as a concept or a person, then it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, and you're just kind of like there, which just makes me sound like an absolute cow. But um, actually, probably no, was. no, no. I actually have a, a similar um, experience when I first started dating too. Like, and I didn't really start dating until I was like 19, like 18, 19, and like right when I moved to Vietnam and I downloaded Tinder. <laughs> so I started going on dates through that. But there was this one guy that I kind of saw for a few months, um, 
and he was from the U.S. as well, um, teaching English. But I was kind of like seeing him, and he would come over and hang out with my housemates. And yeah, I didn't really wasn't really into him. I was just going through the motions. But I thought that's what I was supposed to do, like in yeah. dating. And I remember asking my housemate, um, like, "What do you think of him? Like, do you like him? Like, because I, I really wanted to know what she thought of him." And so I kept asking, like, what do you think of him? Like, do you like him? And she was like, um, well, I think you should be asking yourself if you like him. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. I like him as well. I, I'm like, do I, do I like him? And then I was like, no, I guess I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never really find out how your friends feel about your exes until they're your exes, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I think, like... I was also, like, they were always more interested in me than I was with them, and that was also a more comfortable position to be in, because then when I actually started dating uh, Calvin properly, I'm like, this, that was, it still is, it's terrifying, because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm really, I, I could really get hurt right now, and I don't like mm. that. <laughs> how long have you guys been together? I hate two and a half years now, and I honestly don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, with my, my mom, she's like, yeah, I don't know how either. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you first met him like when did you tell him that or talk about your adoption and family and stuff um I think I trauma dumped on the first date um but as we were saying it's it's very much you know part of as you get to know people you kind of you like you know what if you got any siblings what do your parents do and stuff and so it kind of naturally bleeds into the conversation and I don't I don't really hold back on it I'm just like no nope, my name's Joe and I'm adopted um <laughs> <laughs> these are my stories I think that's how, yeah, how it was with me and Rowan too, like, and, and just in general, like, yeah, it comes up in, in a lot of small talk conversations, mm -hmm. whether I'm, I'm trying to bring it up or not, it just comes up. Yeah. <laughs> There's one clip that, um, I can play now where I asked Rowan, would it have made a difference if I had told him that I was adopted and about my family the first day or later? Do you think that it would have made a difference if I told you later when like after a few dates or because some people um ask like well especially in dating do I tell them um everything on the first date or wait a few dates after we get to know each other or if it doesn't really matter like the timing because I guess for adoptees it's a little bit tricky to decide when to tell people because it Throw some people. It does throw some people off, so you never know how people are going to react. Um, so, for you, do you think it would have made a difference if I had told you later rather than the first date? Or no, I don't think so. It didn't make me think any different already, and I was really into you, so I don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> so that was his answer. When I was asking that question, I had this one particular interaction I had in mind, like. Or a few, because I've I've had had a few first dates where I tell them and then they I get a weird reaction, and the first one was the guy was like, oh, and you're but you're still so normal, <laughs> and was like shocked that I was still there in the flesh talking to him even after growing up with gay moms <laughs> and being adopted. It's America. Um, so that was probably one of the top. Uh, top memories of first dates for me <laughs> another guy I remember there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're going on a first date with, and yeah, we ended up talking about family, um, and my adoption came up. And he was talking about his family and how, like, he came from a very, like, militant style, and they didn't really have a lot of, show a lot of affection, I guess growing up so he was asking about what my family was like and I was saying no like my family um we're very affectionate like we hug each other say I love you all the time like we're very um yeah very loving affectionate open people and he was like oh but you know that's only because you're adopted right (laughs) (laughs) and I was like what excuse you sir yeah that was that will definitely stick in my mind for a while but yeah, after that, um, I left and didn't see him again. <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, you never know what's, what people are going to say after you, after you tell them, I guess. Yeah. Have you had any weird reactions, Hannah, to people? I think always very surprised. But the thing is, when I tell people, it's normally either after a year of knowing them. <laughs> a year? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think even my current flatmate. <laughs> I think just before moving in. So it's either brought up if I have known them for a while, um, and it's kind of obvious, but I don't tell them until <laughs> that long. Or sometimes complete strangers, where it's like, yeah, I'm adopted. And and then that is when it's more of a, a no-shocked and that lucky narrative mm-hmm. and, oh, you must be so grateful and everything and... I don't know, a lot of the responses that we got from the Instagram story or highlight. Mm-hmm. So it's only strangers or people that you've known for a very long time? <laughs> no in between? Yeah, no in between. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does slow people a little bit, though, because they don't know how to react. And so a lot of it's kind of shock or, like, they overcompensate. And then they also throw in that lucky narrative that gets voiced on, voiced on adoptees. 
Um, yeah. And then this idea that kind of, you know, that you've been saved from this this kind of savage country. Yeah, you get a lot of, your parents must be so nice. Yeah, your parents They're are such, such people. such good people. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm a good person too. <laughs> <laughs> I think as a part of it, like, it does, it is a great thing to adopt and it's not an easy process either. So people do have to really commit and jump through a lot of hoops to kind of, in order just to have a family. But it's not really the end all. I mean, adopters and adoptees can both be bad people. What some, like, challenge emotional challenges that you feel like you've gone through being in a long-term relationship I think being in a long-term relationship has its own trials and tribulations I mean you just generally but I think there is the added little caveat of kind of my I don't want to say severe but although <laughs> also not medium um abandonment and rejection issues <laughs> like my skill set when it comes in to between like between medium and severe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no in between like four out of five chilies on like a spice ratio we're <laughs> 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 in a good day <laughs> four and a half and a bad one <laughs> I think my ability to like and this is the thing I feel like I have to gaslight myself sometimes because I'm like you were just seeing rejection where it does not exist um <laughs> I mean sometimes I'm like no that's valid but yeah I think I'm definitely like, quite hypersensitive to rejection and abandonment so like um it can be the smallest thing but of like the way you shot that fridge was a bit cold do you still love me <laughs> <laughs> was it the freezer or the fridge yeah <laughs> even colder I'm not saying that this is healthy. <laughs> yeah I definitely experienced um opening up to Rowan being in a long-term relationship it took longer than I don't know what's I don't want to say normal but what is normal though (laughs) I don't yeah exactly like I don't we don't need to talk about what's normal (laughs) because but yeah it took me a long time to really feel like emotionally vulnerable with him because I don't want to be experience that rejection that is so like deep (laughs) yeah but (laughs) because it's really really scary putting yourself out there and also just like the knowledge that this person could kind of crush you in seconds if Mm -hmm. they really wanted to yeah I feel like especially in um not just romantic relationships but in friendships I always have in the back of my head ready to yeah cut them off if they ever if if something ever happens should just be mentally prepared (laughs) do you want to introduce the clip that you kind of talked about this a little bit with your mom um in her interview yeah, so um, the clip we're going to play next, it's part of a um, a larger interview with my mum and we went into a lot of things we hadn't spoken that much about because we've spoken quite a bit about going back to China and finding my birth family um, and we do cover a lot of that there but we hadn't really kind of ever spoken about actual finding them that kind of day um, but we also then moved on to uh, relationships and my four out of five chilies worth of abandonment issues where she was... <laughs> um, I mean, she's known me from an infant to an adult so she's probably the best um qualified person to to judge on those and to read me to filth which she does but anyway the moment they showed any negativity towards you they were just out (laughs) out because for you any kind of rejection is obviously incredibly painful yeah. And therefore, rather than undergo any more any more risk of rejection, you would rather cut people out of your life. Yeah. 
So, you know, extreme sensitivity to rejection has, has been, you know, been evident, you know, watching you grow up and watching you have various friendships. How do you feel it's affected your, it's affected your relationships? Do you think my appraisals? No, I think it's a very accurate read. Yeah, rejection and abandonment are big ones that I do struggle with. I do, yeah, I told you I wake up in the night sometimes I have to poke Callum and Billy to make sure they're still breathing because I'm just worried that they've gone and died on me. They're not allowed to do. <laughs> I think especially in the early days with Callum, I, I definitely see rejection before it, I mean, it, it didn't come, but I'd read into things and I get very, very upset about, about that. But then it was just me in my head where I was and I see him and it'd be absolutely fine. And I think I detached myself as well to that thing where I was just like mentally prepared to cut him off because I was like, this is it, it's done. But then he'd turn up and he'd be absolutely fine and I'd have to back away from that cliff. <laughs> I don't think I'm coming off particularly well in this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I didn't really think about um connecting abandonment with like fear of death until you kind of gave that example of waking up in the middle of the night and making sure that Callum and Billy are still breathing because yeah. I feel like that's huge mm. a huge thing for me as well definitely fear of death of mm. loved ones death is its own form of abandonment yeah, yeah. Mm. But I didn't really, yeah, think that those two were together. I always assume that abandonment issues meant, like, people, yeah, just walking out of your life, but not really death itself. But I thought that was a good connection. Because <laughs> I felt like that, yeah. Always worrying about people dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or leaving, like, you can't, oh. you can't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember I used to get oh. nightmares uh, when I was, like, eight about my parents dying. And it was yep, really. Me too, me too. Did you actually have really? it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. What was yours like, Hannah? No, yeah, I. Honestly, <laughs> this will sound so sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember sometimes I, I'd be really, really sad and just like imagine. <laughs> imagine, yeah, that my parents, because they're a bit older than average, I'm guessing, probably same um, yours and. Um, there is always that sort of fear of like losing them and I think yeah there'd be times where I'd wake up and I was just like crying and just like thinking um, that they'd sort of die or, or like pass away I never really thought about it this that whoa <laughs> me either <laughs> yeah revelation I think that is a common thing for adoptees though to have older parents mm -hmm. and to have to kind of recognize or have to deal with mortality of our adoptive parents because of that like we have to kind of have that in our minds earlier on than the average person who won't really have to worry about that until their 40s really yeah like 30s and 40s but a lot of adoptees who are adopted by older parents kind of have to face that in their 20s yeah. which I think I've been seeing more common now that I don't know, we're we're getting older too, and it is a big anxiety. I don't know about you guys, but kind of that. I think it's just it's so visceral and it's so kind of in, just intense and acute. This kind of like that that even like the thought of um, being abandoned again or rejected. It is it's such kind of like a primal fear that does yeah to this day like kind of it's, it's she's still there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you ever still get anxious now? I mean, because the... absolutely, yeah. 
I don't think that part will ever go away. No. But yeah, I don't know. Do you feel like people, now that we have our platform of whatever next, do you see other people on social media or in groups talk about this and like parents being older and dealing with mortality of parents? Because I feel like it's not a, I don't know, people don't really talk a lot about it, but I think it's so, I think it's something that's very important because we're all going to have to go through it at some point and yeah and I, also for you Hannah as well as an only child that I think that fear is also slightly compounded um but oh it's definitely not, mm. it's not something that I've seen really online it's more something that I've spoken to um fellow adoptees on kind of a one-to-one basis yeah yeah I do feel like it's important to yeah talk about it but also to have the support system for like adult adoptees yeah who are like only children and yeah you know mm. Yeah, I, I've seen a few posts on, I think, the Facebook groups. And, yeah, there are some people who were adopted by single parents and then they have either passed away or <clears throat> have, like, cancer or something. And then they're just the adoptees sort of posting it and sort of sharing that worry. And I feel like those, they, they don't come up often, but I always sort of click on them and just, like, read read the comments and stuff. And I suppose for a few of those people, I mean, especially if it's a single parent, there there might be a kind of issue or feeling of invalid invalidation when it comes to kind of the wider family, maybe not the immediate family, but that you haven't got that kind of tie anymore because mm. and that's back to mm. biology that some you know um, slightly more distant relatives might not view you as family in the same way that mm. they would a blood relation, which which is awful. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Rowan and Callum are both your first serious relationships, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. How did you get over that fear of abandonment and break down your walls before? Yeah, how did you break down your boundaries and walls? For me, I think it helped when he met my family for the first time relatively early in our relationship um, because... I met him in the spring and I had my graduation with the college in Hanoi in August. So we had only been dating a few months, but they had all traveled over to Vietnam to attend it. So he he met them when he when they came over and they met all of my friends. Um, so that was the first time that Rowan met my family in person. And I think that interaction definitely helped me feel more comfortable talking about personal things with him after he yeah could see and talk to like my mom my sisters um and really try to get a a different understanding of where I come from rather than just me telling him so I think that was a huge huge part for me Andrew (laughs) um I'm not entirely sure um (laughs) I think it probably took me being like I really care about this person and I want to share that part of my life for them and that's really kind of just a trial by fire thing. Because I was like, you just, you have to do it, don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I feel like I just spoke at him. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, what? what? Like? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hannah, you can be the one asking questions now. <laughs> yeah, you, you wait till you get your first boyfriend. We're going <laughs> to. I know, oh, we're no. going to. We have him prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, instead of him being nervous of meeting my parents, it would be meeting you too. 
I think one of the interesting things that we did touch upon, though, in the last one, is that a lot of people, um, you said when you tell them that you've got a boyfriend, that they kind of instantly go to, what what race is he, as a follow-up? Oh, yes, yes. That's um, a very common question, for some reason. Whenever um, it comes up in conversation that I have a boyfriend, the most of, most of the time, especially if it's another guy who's asking me, um, will ask what his race is. They'll ask, oh, is he Asian? Is he white? <laughs> <laughs> until, until I fill in the blank. And I'm like, why does it matter? Why? But, and then when I answer, is he, uh, he's white, they'll always be like, oh, do you only date white guys? Or <laughs> if they keep talking before I answer and assume that he's Asian, they'll be like, oh, do you only date Asians? <sighs> but I, yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, it's that thing where people kind of, they feel the need to, to box you, um, and it's, I think, also a part of that question is a gauge to, to work out what sort of, you know, how whitewashed are you? Or are you kind of one of those um, girls? And then yeah. they can, like, move on in their own uh, circle of assumptions. And they're like, yeah. great, that box is ticked. Let's move on to something else. Yeah. Like, a very, very quick uh, assessment of me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm in a test. Like, which answer is the correct answer? I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, just kidding, I actually don't have a boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> just say, like, he's Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two options. He's Leaf Boy. He defies he's a boy. <laughs> He's a cat, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, people are always curious about Rowan's race. And then they'll want to see a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you got it wrong. Just in case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in case you forgot what he looked like. They want to double check oh. my work. <laughs> Do you get that a lot? Yeah, because I'll be like, oh, my boyfriend's in Scotland. They're like, but is he Scottish? And you're like, yes, okay. <laughs> oh, like asking, is is he white? Yeah, yeah, because like, that's yeah. the like, subtext, isn't it? Uh, are you just like, yes? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, all above. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is a stigma with white guys dating Asian women, I feel like. Yeah. That's another... It's a whole other <laughs> kind of whole other conversation. That I, I don't think we have time for in this one, but... <laughs> we will talk about this in another dating-related episode. <laughs> if you're interested in any other questions or comments um, or stories that you want to hear from us relating to relationships. <laughs> yeah, because that one definitely deserves the same podcast. There's just so much to unpick there. Yeah, there's a lot so of different much. topics within this topic that I think that, yeah, we have overloaded. Could spend a lot of time on. Yeah, and I think it's a shame that we've ended up doing some of them in injustice just by kind of merit of a conversation, mm. a dialogue flow that, but yeah, hopefully we'll come back, we'll circle back. And if we didn't yeah. miss anything major, please uh, just message us. Call us out. Yeah. And our email is whatevernext2020 at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, we definitely want to hear your thoughts, what you think, which parts you thought were most um, interesting, relatable, um, unrelatable, or unrelatable. Yeah. Boring. All of the things. Boring. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whatever Next has chosen to help support Rape Crisis Scotland uh, because of all the work that they do to help end sexual violence. Uh, they work with 17 independent local rape crisis centres spread across Scotland, as well as running a national helpline year-round to support anyone affected by sexual violence. Uh, they also work with schools to help teach consent and safe sex and campaign to change legislation and attitudes that allow sexual violence and those who practice it to prevail. Um, it goes without saying that ending sexual violence is a matter that each of us take very seriously. Um, and that's why we've decided to donate the profit raised from some of the stickers that we're selling to Rape Crisis Scotland. If you want to head over to our website, um, they're on sale and also through our Instagram if you just want to DM us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Whatever Next. You can find more of our episodes on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. With thanks to Andy Lum for editing and mixing this episode, Whatever Next is produced by Solus Sounds. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.